Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This podcast contains frank discussions about the body, sexuality, and occasionally uses swear words, which may not be appropriate for people under the age of 18. This podcast also uses facts, statistics, and mathematics, which may not be appropriate for liberal arts majors. And this podcast relies on science and reality, which may not be appropriate for evangelicals. Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This is your host, Auntie Vice. I'm here today with Regina Smithwick. She is an author, a motivational speaker, a podcaster, and a life coach, and has a fascinating story. If you're familiar with her stuff, you'll be excited to have her on the show. I know I am. Welcome to the show, Regina. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be on your platform. I'm so excited about this. You sound so lively. I love it. Love it. Thank you. Yeah. No, I, I always love talking to folks. One of the first things I came across when I was looking up all your stuff is you've actually written a lot about adoption. And that's one topic we haven't covered a bunch on the show. We've definitely had some adopted folks on the show, mm-hmm. but people don't, that's, that's not a story that's out there a lot. So do you want to start by giving our listeners a basic overview of kind of your adoption story and where that comes in? Yes. Yes. So um my adoption story started in 1970 when I was born, but I didn't know until I was six. So 76 is when I found out. My parents sat me down and told me about it. And I'll never forget it. I was watching Soul Train. Watching Soul Train. And I was like, okay, are we done? <laughs> you know, the, the dance is going down. Are you done? So I didn't really put too much to it. I didn't really put much to it. And I allowed life to put stuff to it. So in the interim of finding out I'm adopted. And then you start hearing stories about people who are adopted. Kids were saying, oh, their mom and daddy didn't love them. They threw them away. They dumped them in the dumpster. They sent them to the fire station. They did this, that, that, whatever. So I got to a point was like, okay, I know what to do, what I'm not going to do. And what you're not going to do is tease me and make me feel less than. So I'm going to suppress myself, hide who I really am. And I'm not going to tell you or anyone else except my immediate family who I really am. And in the interim of doing that, I messed myself up because when you suppress anything that you're not who you are, it comes out in different facets. So I developed insecurities, low self-esteem, validation issues, being a people pleaser, because I got to hide it. So I got to make sure everybody around me good and happy all the time because I didn't want you to find out my thing. See what I'm saying? So for me, I let the world make, the world decide what I was going to do with my life. And I wasn't being who I was and authentic to who I was. And I didn't stand in my truth. So in 2020, well, 2019, it was a nice, beautiful Saturday afternoon in September. I had a nice little mental breakdown. And the breakdown came over a date. I got rejected. And so I didn't know how to handle the rejection. It wasn't a rejection. It was how I handled the rejection was my problem. And I took it really personally. I got tired of being sick and tired. I was tired of living that way. 
You shouldn't let nobody that you don't know or anyone you know, period, shift you that much to make you act like that. And that's what I did. And at that point, I knew something wasn't right. And I had to figure out the core, the core, not the symptoms, the core. So when I actually reached, reached out to a spiritual life coach, I started doing my work. In the interim of doing my work, I found out that my adoption was the core of my problem because I didn't let nobody know. And I hit it and I had to volley stand in my truth. And I ended up doing that in 2020. And I told the world I was adopted. So that's in a nutshell how that came out. And when you started telling people beyond your your close family that you were adopted, how was it received? Oh, guess what? If I do, if anybody don't know me by now, Regina do things, Regina do things big. I had my 50th birthday. And at the time, 2020, you know, we were locked down. I had a Zoom party. So my best friend knew. So she hooked it up. She did a PowerPoint presentation, did all this. And I had did this speech. And they, and people didn't understand where it was coming from because I was saying things that was foreign. So I was like, I would like to introduce to you my family. And then they were looking at these people like this man was up there. I was like, who are these people? They look like a couple. I was like, everyone, I was adopted. And I couldn't even get that word out. People started screaming. They were crying. They were running in the room and they was going. They were like, I don't believe this. Are you kidding me? Like, it, it, it was so shocked. They was like, well, why are you never told me? I said, it wasn't about you. It wasn't about you. And I made it about you. And that's why I was in the predicament I was in, because I made it about you. I didn't do nothing to make it about me. Right. So when that happened, I had my siblings and my dad on there. And I introduced everybody to my siblings and my dad. Now, I was raised as the only child. I'm 50 years old. I never had this before. I got six siblings now. And I have a living dad. My mom passed away, though. I didn't get a chance to meet her. But my dad is alive and my siblings are alive. So now I have brothers and sisters. That was so weird. And it's so weird right now. And we could get into that a little later. But that is how I introduced it to the world at my 50th birthday party. How was it to find your birth family and then reconnect with the, the extended part of that family? It's really difficult. It's a beautiful, difficult, amazing, scary box. It was just like a, a present that when you open up the paper, it was kind of like it was like a sandpaper wrap gift, if I could make that even clearer. Um, it's a beautiful thing, but it's overwhelming because remember, your family only got to know you. They only have to figure you out. You got to figure out hundreds of people, not just one side, two sides of families that actually are nice size size families, right? I have to learn people that you're automatically supposed to know. I'm supposed to know my father. I'm thrown in a room with this man. He's like, that's your dad. You're supposed to love him. That's your dad. He's supposed to support you. He's supposed to protect you. He's supposed to do right by you because he's your dad. You're supposed to love him. You're supposed to honor him. You're supposed to respect him because he's your dad. Instantly, you're supposed to have that feeling, right? But you don't know this man from a can of paint. So where do you start? How do you make it work? I started off with, hey, you are my father. Without you, it would have been no me. Regardless how it happened, you made me, and I respect you for that alone. That's where I started from. And then we started mm-hmm. building, and we started talking, and we talk every day. And the relationship I have with him is so different than my father that raised me because I had him from scratch. 
this is a grown man. I'm a grown woman. So we could have grown conversations that I never had with my dad. We could talk about sex. We could talk about um, relationships. We could talk about money. We could talk about certain things I never talked to my dad who raised me. I was able to talk to him from, from the gate. So it's a different type of relationship. But what the problem is sometimes I got to stop myself because I would talk to him and he'll do something that's totally different than what I'm used to. And I got to keep remembering that's not who raised me. He's your dad, but he's not the dad that raised you. And you can't expect him to jump in that role like that. You got to take him for who he is or don't take him at all. So it's, it's a big adjustment to learn people. Your siblings, they're all different. Some of you are closer than others. I never had siblings. I seen it before and I never understood it. I figured if you were sibling, that was it. Everybody was like even playing field. Everybody got along. Everybody loved each other the same. Everybody kumbaya. It's not like that, I see. You got some that's closer to you. You got some that not, they love you, but they just not that type of person anyway, in general. They just not a everyday type of talker person. You got to accept that. So this has been a very um, interesting experience, but I, I, I embrace it because it teaches me more about me. It teaches me more about how to respect others' space and not to be too pushy. Because I know sometimes, but like, yes, we, you know, that's the motivator in me. We could do it. We could, you know, we could be this. I want to be, I want to be there for you. Everything that happens, I want to be there for you because I'm your sister. I love you. That's how I am. But I had to kind of step back and like, everybody's not like that. You're going to scare them. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned <laughs> that when you were younger, you had that idea that, you know, your parents may have just dis- your birth parents may have thrown you away, discarded you, didn't want you. How did that in- and up until the point where you were able to reconnect with your birth family? How did that change how you approached relationships and how you felt about yourself? Well, I didn't think that other people thought of that. OK, I didn't think of that. I always believed that they had to do what they had to do. I never had any any malice. I never disliked them. I never even thought nothing like that. I just figured they couldn't take care of me and they gave me a perfect life because the life that I had, my parents gave me a fantastic life. I never went for nothing. I always had opportunities. I was always exposed to things. I was taught certain things. I had a great life. Never wanted to, and I, I, you know, of course, you always wonder. You're always going to wonder, how how would it have been if I was with them? How would my life been? Do I have siblings? When I had a brother, I always wanted an older brother. Always wanted an older brother. I always wanted an older brother. And I was like, well, that ain't going to happen because I'm here. So I ain't going to be no older than me. You know what I'm saying? So I always wanted certain things, but I just kind of moved on, you know, like whatever. But when that situation came back up and I was able to meet these people, it was so overwhelming because I finally got my older brother. And we are so close. We act alike. We got the same personality. We think alike. Everything I dreamed of has happened with my brother. Um, And my sister, my big sister, she looks out for me. Like, she's like, yo, you're my sis. You know, I have real close bonds with most of my siblings. So everything I wanted, I got it. Later on in life, it's not always where you want it. You know, you think that you want it, but I always told them, they're like, why you look for us earlier? You know, because they didn't know. Mm -hmm. My mother didn't tell them nothing. 
I said, because we wouldn't be like we are right now if I did it early. Because I'm not the same person I would have been in my 20s and my 30s. I wanted to meet my mother. I always dreamt to meet her to tell her, thank you. I just mm-hmm. wanted to tell her, thank you. Because what you did was unconditional love. You could have went to an abortion clinic and been done with it. You didn't have to carry me nine months, take care of me, make sure I, you gave me a good birth. And give me, you literally took me and told someone, here you go. And this person went down this whole way and disappeared. And you never was going to see me again. And you knew that. And that's unconditional mm-hmm. love. I want to thank her for doing what she did. And what I ended up doing was her plot. For some reason, I'm not sure the family had a mix up. They never had her plot completed. Mm. So I got them together. I said, look, let's chip it to chip in. Let's make this happen and let us have another. I wanted to have a rededication ceremony so we could lower her plot. I got it taken care Mm -hmm. of. We got the plot put in. And one day we went out there as a family and I love them because what I had, they gave me what they did already. And they had to reopen the wounds for me to do it. I never had closure. And they said, you know what, for you, we're going to do this. And they actually sat out there and had another funeral for their mother, for me. That's a lot. And it took my sister everything that she had to come out there. And she did it for me. And that told me how much she loved me. And we had a rededication. We had a pastor come out. We had a singer. We had a full service. And all my family came out. It was about good 30 of them came out and supported me for that. I can never say thank you enough because I know that hurt them to do this again. That's amazing. As you've gotten to know your siblings and Mm -hmm. and your bio dad, how has that changed how you see yourself? I see me in these people. I never had people. I I was raised in a great family and they loved me, totally loved me. But they had similarities because they're from the same DNA. They look mm-hmm. alike, they shape alike, they think alike. I was, I was, it's funny. When you're adopting, you can tell me because I know you have this experience in your family. When you're adopting, you got two points. You got how you were raised. So you're going to pick up on some of that, right? You're going to pick mm-hmm. up on how your parents raised you or your siblings, how you're going to because it's a habit you pick up. You're with someone for 20, 30 years, you pick up habits. But there's a natural thing that happens when you're with people you're actually born with that you don't have to try to learn. It instantly happens. So when I meet these people, I'm looking at things. I was the tallest thing. I'm 5'10". I'm taller than anyone in my family. My, the men in my family are maybe 5'10". Maybe. There's like two guys in my family is six, or 6'1 or 6'2". And that's just by, I don't know how that happened. My father is 6'4". My brother's 6'5". My sister's 5'9". I found my height. I found my fingers. I got long fingers. I got long toes. I got piddle top toes, I call them. I looked at my father. We were watching TV one day. I screamed. He's jumped. He said, what are you screaming about? I said, I got your toes. I got your toes. He was like, okay. You don't understand how important these little things, because when I was growing up, I always wondered who I look like. I look like my mother and I'm shaped like my dad, but I look like my sisters or my dad said I look like my me and my brother look just like I look like both sides and it's amazing when I get with them because we'll go places like yeah y'all I can see that y'all siblings and it feels good because I feel like I feel like I'm a part of something now I'm not like the who are you my cousin my favorite cousin looks just like my mother she looked more like my mother than her own mother 
And when we were little, we used to go out places. People was like, oh, your daughter. She's like, that's not my daughter. That's my niece. She's my daughter. She always had to correct them because she looks mm-hmm. just like my mother. Mm-hmm. It kind of hurt me because you had to keep correcting people. Mm-hmm. They keep claiming me over and over and over again. And I never said nothing about it when I was younger, but it did bother me. But now I could go, when I go with my, my biological family, we don't have to question. They know who I am now. That's your brother. That's your sister. I see it. So it feels good. It feels good. It really does. Which brings up an interesting point, because in my family, we have people who've been adopted and who end up looking remarkably similar to, to their adoptive parents, right? Yes, we also have... Oh yeah, yeah. My mother's youngest brother. You can't tell he's a, he looks so spot on, like all the other other kids in the family, mm-hmm. you could, including the height, because we're all very tall. Everybody's over six feet tall, and he happened to end up oh, like six three. <laughs> so, um, but we've also had uh, I've had relatives who've done interracial adoptions, nice. and so obviously you don't see any physical aspects of you necessarily reflected and just taking from your experience, the things you didn't see reflected back at you. uh, How did that influence your, your, did it change how you felt about your adoptive parents or did you feel any less connected or was it just, this is just how it is because I happen to not look like mom and dad. Guess what? I, (laughs) Because of my smile, me and my dad, I look like if what they, what people did was they look at both parents and they figure out the what similarities you have. Because they go, you don't look like her, but I see. I think it's your dad because y'all got the same big smile. So everybody always said, I thought your father was your real father because not real mm-hmm. father. I don't like to say that your right. biological father because he is my he's the mm-hmm. goat. That's my that's why I call him the call him the goat. But when they said that, they were like. How can it be? You look just like your dad. How can it be? You act just like him. You're both social. You're both like to talk. You're both smiling. You just like him. I said, that's the part you pick up. Mm-hmm. That's the part you pick up. And my dad always said, you feed somebody long enough, they start looking like you. You take care of somebody long enough, they start looking like you. So I always was told I look like my dad. And I disclaimed it because at that time, I'd never mm-hmm. said anything about my adoption. So. I just claim it. So technically, technically, mm-hmm. my quote heirs, I was not telling the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Every time I said that, I was not telling the truth. I knew that. And eventually it digged in long enough that it started making issues with me because I wasn't being truthful to people. I was technically lying to people. And when you're we're not able to disclose that or you don't want to disclose something about yourself for your, in your case, it's adoption, but for, you know, other people would be different things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that impact your relationships with, with people outside your family? How did like forming romantic bonds and stuff? How, <laughs> and you can't tell that. Yeah. How, how did that, how does not being able to be, to stand fully in who you are and disclose that, how did that impact stuff? It makes you have major issue. Validation issue was one of them. That was the top one I had with guys. I had to keep, you had to keep feeding me. You had to keep telling me how great I was. That gets tiring after a while. Nobody could keep telling you how great you are. You got to know how great you are before you get in a relationship. I had to get you to keep telling me because I didn't love myself enough to even 
to to even stand in my truth. So how can I, first of all, love you? First of all, how can I love you? Second of all, before I love you, I'm asking you to tell me how great I am. How can you really build on a relationship like that? Because you're going to be always insecure in that relationship. You're always going to have like issues or you're going to be low self-esteem. You're always going to think it's something. You always start thinking things. It was everyone I met since I've been in this adoption um, crusade, or whatever you want to call it, since I went out and came out with it in 2020, I met different women. And every single one of us had the same exact problems. Low self-esteem, validation. We've all been divorced. You cannot love anyone until you love yourself, regardless what the problem is, if it's an adoption or it's something else. You got to find out who you are, find out who you are, love yourself, then go out and try to love someone else. We were doing it backwards, and that's why it didn't work. So when you're adopted, it could be an easy way or it could be a hard way. And then what I'm explaining to you, you could have adopted parents who don't want you to find your birth parents, right? A lot of them, some of them don't tell their kids they even adopted. Some of them tell them, but they make them feel guilty to try to find their birth parents. Some of them tell them why you need to find them. We don't give you enough because guess what? That's their insecurities. That's their low self-esteem. That's their issues and they put them on you. Remember, your parents are human beings. They're, they're who they are before they're your parents. So they have issues too. So when people adopt, a lot of times they want you to forget all that. Don't forget all that. You, you, you with us now. Forget it. That is not good because we all have human rights and birth rights is what we all have. Most adopted parents, not all, because I'm not, I actually adopted my daughter. So I'm both ends. A lot of adopted parents are not adopted children. So they have their birthright given to them, honestly. They don't never have to question where they came from. But it's not fair for them to not give you your birthright because they're insecure and scared you're going to leave them. You're not right. leaving. You're adding to it. You're not subtracting from it. I added two sections, two extra sections to my family. I have four sides now. I'm not taking away anything. You got to get out your own way and out of your own insecurities and let your children have the option to find where they came from. They need to know they medical. If anything, they need to know they medical. Mm -hmm. This is a big problem. I didn't realize how big it was until I got into this world and then realized that a lot of these adopted parents that love them, love them. They love them too much, though. They're choking them and not letting them know who they are. You can't mm -hmm. take that birthright from these kids. It, it's going to affect their lives. I've seen it. I've seen one mm -hmm. person whose parents died and took it to their graves, and they found mm -hmm. paperwork to find that they was adopted and didn't know. That's crazy. So I want to touch on a couple of things here. Uh, mm -hmm. One, your experience with connecting with your birth family was very positive, right? And mm -hmm. you've brought them in and you have relationships with them. That's mm -hmm. not always the case. That's right? true. Mm -hmm. uh, how did you prepare for, before you knew whether or not they really wanted to get to know you, how mm -hmm. did you prepare yourself for the potential that they may say, we don't want anything to do with this? I am, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm a believer. And I just prayed and said, God, whatever, whatever is your will is your way. And it's going to happen the way it's supposed to happen. 
If I'm not accepted, then that's a lesson I'm supposed to learn out of that. If I am accepted, then that's how it's supposed to be. I, I, I had to leave it like that because when you, when you go in with too much expectation, you get knocked down, then you go, you do too much. If you go in and just say, listen, it's going to go the way it's supposed to go. If it doesn't go that way, there's a reason for it. I'm going to accept that and I got to move on. So you got to really be true with yourself and really talk to yourself before you get into it because you're not going to know because sometimes it, it still has nothing to do with you. So I, I want to make that clear. When you go into a situation when a parent is rejecting you again, I guess you want to think of it as, it's their problem, not yours. You didn't do nothing wrong. You were just birthed. You had no control of that. You couldn't stop the birth. You couldn't predict the birth. Mm -hmm. You have nothing to do with this. When sometimes the guilt that they have on themselves is so bad that when they look at you, it reminds them of what they did. And they're not happy with what they did. They had parents maybe made them do it. Um, they was in, uh, maybe they had drug issues. Maybe they had homeless issues. They had issues that at that time they couldn't control and it, it, it kills them and they try to forget it. And they do the same thing I did, suppress, suppress, suppress. And then when you pop up, hi, um, and they look at you, go, I know who you are. You look like me. And it reminds them like, okay, I did terrible to you. I can't keep looking at you. It keeps reminding me of what I did. So if it ever happens to you, remember, it got nothing to do with you. It's all on them. And that takes some of that pressure off of you. And it still has to be kind of terrifying to go in not knowing what that initial meeting is going to be. Mm, it is. But like I said, that was the only way I could go into it and, and releasing that and letting God just take over that. It, it took the pressure off because I knew everything in life that you do it always, okay, we have this picture in our head how we think things are supposed to go. When it don't go that way, it doesn't mean it went wrong. It just means that it was supposed to go the way it go and your lesson is learned in that. You have to learn the lesson in that. You got to stop and learn, and learn the lesson and not think about it because everything that you think is bad is not bad. Maybe it was going to happen later. Maybe that shock got her and maybe she needed about a month or two for it to soak in and then she's going to come back. You never know what's going to happen. But just trust the process and understand it's for your better good. That's how, that's the best way to handle it. Did your adoptive parents tell you much about your birth parents or anything when you were growing up? Or did you go in really not knowing any bit of the story? No, I didn't know anything because it was a closed adoption. Mm -hmm. So they didn't know anything. They just knew the agency they used the lawyer they used. Now, my family was, um, my parents were the first ones in my family to ever go outside to adopt. They were the first one to ever go to an agency and do it that route. That was the first time that ever happened in my family. So after that, there's about six, seven of us under me that's been adopted. Mm -hmm. I was the first. So they was the first one to try this route. Um, so when, when, you, when you do it that way, it's closed. So what I did was in uh, my early 30s, I thought I was ready. So I went ahead and went to New York, got my information. My mother wrote a statement on why she did what she did. She wrote a statement a little bit about her and where she came from and, you know, where she lived. And she was working as a maid in D.C. Like she gave me a little run of where she was at. And she said that she was had already had two children. So I already knew I had two siblings. 
she said that she was going back to school. She did because she had a daughter, my sister in high school that she dropped out. She wanted to go back to school and she wanted to make some of herself. And she knew that having me would not be feasible and it wouldn't be fair. And she knew that it wouldn't be fair. It would make the situation even worse that now she got three kids to take care of. Mm-hmm. I, she's 20 years old. I've been 20. I've been 20. Yeah. She's 20 years old. That's where people got to understand. People be taking things personal. Oh, she did this. And she, no, nah, she's 20. Mm-hmm. At 20 years old with two kids already. She did what she had to do at 20 years old. I don't take things personal. She didn't do it because she didn't like me. She did it because she loved me. She knew it would have been overwhelming too much. And she would have been dragging all three of us down then. Then my other two had to suffer too. I'm okay because the way it happened was supposed to happen. I was supposed to be where I was at and I was supposed to come back when I did. The journey was supposed to happen the way it happened. And when it happened the way it happened, I accepted, I trust the process. And I said, listen, there's no, I wish I was here. No, I'm not going to think that way because it wasn't supposed to happen that way. Yeah. And I think trusting the process is one, it's incredibly important. And it, in multiple aspects of anyone's life, but two is really hard to do because we like to think we can control this stuff, and that's it. But that controlling the stuff is what gets you in the problems from the first place, and that's why I got to where I was at because I try to control the narrative, and when I did that, I messed everything up. I messed everything up because I wanted to control everything. Yeah, no, I, I I think that's such a critical lesson that people have to learn because there's so much. It's like when you go in for a job interview and they say, well, where do you want to be 10 years from now? And I'm like, oh, that's cute. You think I can predict shit that far in the future? Like, <laughs> you know how much you'd have to control to make that happen 10 years in the future? I'm like, no. I don't no, know. I, yeah. You don't. Well, and I think that's why the pandemic has driven so many folks crazy. Is you can't mm. control this. Mm. It was like, ooh, there's all sorts of things I can't control now. And that uncertainty freaked people out. And some people actually had to face their self. Did you notice how many people have actually jumped out and did things that were never done before? Because it, 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 some people went crazy. Some people like literally had, I mean, they said that therapists and coaches, like they were skyrocketing at that time because people was, first of all, isolating was crazy. Then they had to deal with themselves and their spouses and people they, they had to deal with because you can live with someone and not be with them. And when mm-hmm. you got stuck for months at a time, you was like, who are you? Like, what is going on here? People had to face themselves. It was a sit-down moment, and everybody had to actually look in the mirror and go, who am I? And that was another thing I had noticed when I was first asked that question. Somebody said, my coach said, mm-hmm. who are you? Mm-hmm. I sat there. I sat there for minutes. I couldn't tell her. I told her I was a mother. I told her that I was a daughter. I told her that I was um, um. I had a master's degree. I have a bachelor's degree. All my titles. She said, I didn't ask you that. I asked you, who are you? She said, that's where we're going to start. And the first thing she had me read was a 30-day mental diet. This book called 30-Day Mental Diet was the first book she gave me. And when I read that book, I realized I didn't know who I was. 
I didn't know where my place was in this universe. I didn't know why God had put me here and what was my purpose and where I supposed to serve in this world. We are here to serve. What you're doing right now, Auntie Vice, you're serving because you're out here giving people a voice and giving people a platform to talk. That's a service. And you found your purpose. Everyone don't know their purpose. And that's why everybody's walking around here like zombies and lost and then floating around here. And until you sit down long enough to take care of yourself and ask you that question, who are you? And actually know the answer, then you can start your, your journey. Then you can start your journey. Yeah, and it's a huge question. I mean, it's it's a lifetime of figuring that out for most of us. Is and it keeps changing. <laughs> Right. Who I was at 25 is not who I am at 50. It's not who I'm going to be at 75, I hope. And you had to allow your seat. But that's the way we, we, we talked about the control. Right. That's mm-hmm. where you had to allow that to flow. You have to allow mm-hmm. yourself to flow and not control. That's yep. where that happens at, because you have to allow that you're going to keep elevating. And building on top of what you're doing. If you're in the same place now that you are in five years, you got a problem. Exactly. Exactly. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is you're an adoptive parent. You adopted mm-hmm. a kid. So coming mm-hmm. in with the experience of being an adopt adoptee, mm-hmm. what decisions did you make about raising your your your, your daughter? Our daughter that were mm-hmm. di- yeah, that were different than the way your parents did, or were the same? Like how how have you good negotiated question. that? Very good question. They didn't know. I didn't even tell my husband I was adopted. Wow. Nobody. Well, I would say some, I said nobody. I mean nobody. Yeah. He didn't know I was adopted. My children didn't know I was adopted. I didn't tell anyone. When you get so far in, you get too far in, how you go back? How can you go back? I didn't tell anyone. So when I did what I did, I did it knowing who I was. And when it was time for her to ask questions, she was adopted through because it was like I was marrying her father and her mother wasn't in her life and I was not happy with that and I said listen we don't do steps up in this house I don't do steps I don't believe in steps you're going to be my daughter you're going to be fully my daughter and my brother my 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 boys they're brothers and sisters. They don't say I'm half. We don't do halves and steps. You're y'all related. They don't even know about that. They don't even question. They don't say, well, that's my half. No, we are all family and we just treat it as such. She got the last name. She got everything she needed to get. She was adopted. She was in the family. So she gets to the same age around the same time. You want to start wondering, questioning. Uh, we told her, listen, we're going to let you definitely meet your mom. We're going to let you definitely get it, but we got to wait till you're 18 because I know what she she got going on right now is too mature for your mind right this moment. We're not holding you away from it. We just got to let you mature a little bit more so you could understand what's happening because you're going to, the contrast from what you've been raised in and the contrast you're going to go to a two way different worlds. And you have to have some maturity level to understand this and not take it personal. So we are protecting you, but we're not going to take it from you. We want you to have it. So when she was old enough, you know, now go ahead. You can go visit. You're, old, you're of age. You can go do what you got to do. 
and she had to learn her as she went to the same, got a learner. She got used to being in one family. And when she went to the other, they were raised totally different than where she was raised. So her siblings were raised differently. She had to get used to them. They had to get used to her. So I watched it happen with her. And so it taught me something about what I had to do one day. Because at that point, that was still 15 years later when I did it. Wow. See what I'm saying? So she got she did it quicker than I did. And I I learned, I learned from her. And you know, now she knows my story. She's like, wow, we the same. We the same. Mm-hmm. We went through the same stuff. And now she meets my family. She's like, wow, this is great. We have that in common. So it made us made us closer. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So my name is actually a family name. Auntie Vice is it was given to me when my my college besties adopted their son. He they they fostered him from three and they officially adopted him at five, on his fifth birthday. And awesome. they wanted godparents without the religion. And because I had taught daddy and dado about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, mm-hmm. they wanted me to be that type of, you know, I can talk to their kid about anything. So I became Auntie Vice. Nice. Um, but when they were fostering him and, and and right after they adopted him, you know, certain things happened. And they said, you really need a different baby book for when you have an adopted kid. Like the first time the kid comes in and tells you, I wish I was with my birth parents. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they have these these questions that just don't come up. Are there mm-hmm. resources out there for parents who've adopted kids that actually recognize the difference in raising an adopted kid, especially if they know they're adopted? Well, I could say, well, my book do go into it a little bit. I um I tell these kind of stories like I'm telling you, because there's mm-hmm. more than one side of adoption. You could talk to someone else, they're gonna tell you a whole nother. There's so many sides to adoption that it's not one cookie cutter answer to. And you could just take a little bit from everyone. And so when um my book was released, I received some information, letters, or emails from parents who said, I'm gonna use this book when it's time for me to tell my child that they are adopted. I have put resources in the book. So I give you statistics. I give you information in my book so it could kind of steer you to the right direction and some information. So if you need to contact certain people, you can start here. Um, so I give you that. I give you stories. I give you everything, resources and everything. And I give you uh, motivational, aspiration stuff. So I give you a little bit of everything in this book. I do. I give you a little bit of everything. So, but even if you don't, you could go to, um, I think it's adoption.org or com and, uh, or just put adoption and you'll start seeing like the international adoption sites. If you want to kind of find out where to start your search. I went to DNA. I went straight to Ancestry. I did my little vow. Six weeks later, they said, here's your family. And I made two phone calls. I found my parents in one day. Both of wow. them one day. It was so wow. easy. I contact one cousin on one side, one cousin on the other side. They called me the same day. They verified it. And I knew who they were by the end of the night. I can't tell you the number of times people have told me that, especially kids who, you know, you were adopted as a kid. And then, you know, most, most of my friends are in their 40s, 50s, 60s. Mm-hmm. Now that this is available, all of a sudden that search that used to be through paper records and often ended up in in dead ends, especially in closed adoptions, the DNA has revolutionized it, right? 
Yeah, it revenue. Let me tell you, when I when I was in my thirties, when I said I first started to do this thing, there was a show on TLC. I don't know if you ever remember the show, but there's a lady who did adoptions, mm-hmm. and I think she was from New York, if I'm not mistaken. And she actually did it on, you know, in real life. I contacted her because she gives you your information on the show. She charged about three thousand dollars at the time to do the footwork because it was a lot of footwork back then. She was not getting over on you. She had to do a lot of work to find these people. So I'm not mad at her charging that, but it is a lot of money. I found out I was pregnant with my twins around the same time. So I ended up not doing it because I needed to save my money for my birth. Um, but now is either $49.99 or $99.99. And you literally, it's based on who does it. Because of course, if your family doesn't do it, it's not going to show up. But in most cases, I found thousands of cousins, cousins, I mean, fifth cousins, all the way up to um, first cousins. And so it was really funny, though, because um, when you look up there, you look at these people, the first person I saw, she looked, we had the same face. We dimples, the cheekbones, the eyes, the everything, the cheeky eyes, the big smile. I said, that's my cousin for real. Like, I, we look alike. And I reached out to her and she was, she's the, um, her mother and my mother were first cousins. And when I talked to her, she was like, you her daughter, like her daughter is so-and-so. I said, I know. I said, I was adopted. She's like, get out of here. She asked her mama, I said, no, she only got one daughter. She said, no, ma, she got two. She got two. She said, she said, send me your picture. I sent her the picture on the phone. They both screamed. Because I look just like my sister and my mother. They scream. They're like, that's her child. I'm the youngest. I was like, I'm the youngest. I said, and guess what? Come to find out that when you talk about the name, my birth mother named me Regina. That was my birth mother name. Uh-huh. My adopted mother said, I'll let her keep that name because I want her to have a connection with her mother. And I like that mm-hmm. name. I'll just give her her middle name. So. She died not knowing, but I kept her name. That's great. So Regina means queen. <laughs> Literally, it means queen. My mother named me queen. She said, I'm going to have to do this, but I'm going to set you up because I'm. A, this is what I want you to be. You're going to be a queen. It may not happen right when, but it, it's happened now because I am that queen now. When I went through all I went through and did my work, I'm claiming that name. That's what my mother want me to be. And I'm going to dag on it, do the best possible job of being that queen for her because she she did that. She did what she did for me. So I'm going to make sure I live that life for her. I love that. If our readers want to find your book, if they want to find mm-hmm. you, I know you do life coaching, you do motivational mm-hmm. speaking. If they want to hire you, plug all the things and tell them where to find you. Very simple. My website is www.let's talk1943.com. It has all my information about my podcast, my um, live talk show that come on every other Sunday. It'll tell you all my merchandise, my four books, as well as motivational speaking. How can you reach me if you want to book me to motivational speak um, of wringing out your sponge? Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. We'll make sure all of those links are up in our show notes for our listeners and have a wonderful afternoon. And thank you so much, Auntie Vice.
and now, a moment of gratitude. I'm grateful for, I'm grateful for just being open, being transparent, being um, a vessel. I always say that I'm a vessel. I'm here to serve. I'm grateful of knowing my purpose. I'm so thrilled that I know what I'm here for. And not saying this ain't this ain't the only thing I'm here for, but it's a start. I'm doing what I know I'm supposed to be doing, and I feel good doing it. It's not a question in my mind. It's not what I'm supposed to be doing. That's what I'm grateful for, my purpose. Hi, this is Auntie Bice from Fat Chicks on Top. I want to let you know that Fat Chicks has a new line of merchandise so you can show your love. You can go to auntiebice.com backslash shop for all things Fat Chicks. My books are there as well. And if you use code PREP4FOLSOM, capitalizing each letter, you will get $7 off the 30 Days of Kiki Self-Discovery digital book. listening to this episode of Fat Chicks on Top. Please like, subscribe, and review our podcast on whatever platform you listen to it on. If we like your review, we may even read it online. This has been an Auntie Vice production. Producer and host, Rebecca Blanton. Audio production by Sharon Smith. Music by David Manga. And more music by Sharon Smith. For more information about Fat Chicks on Top, please visit our website for all things Fat Chicks at fatchicksontop.com.